Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. Um, at this time, we're going to go ahead and dismiss uh, anyone under the age of five. Anybody that's potty trained under the age of five. The rest of you guys have to stay in here. Sorry. Um, my name is Josh. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at the district, for those of you who don't know me. Um, it is always a joy and an honor to be able to open up God's Word with you. Um, and uh, this season, I, like Jordan said this morning, I, I love Advent. Um, I was talking about it this morning. It's just this beautiful understanding that Emmanuel, God has come and He's dwelt with us. And there's so much truth in that, and there's so much beauty in that, that oftentimes we can confine Advent to just four weeks before Christmas, but in reality, Advent should be a, a way of life, one in which we praise that Christ has come to defeat sin and death, um, but that we are waiting anxiously for his return. But because he did come, because he did dwell with us, we have, as Hebrew says, an empathetic high priest and it's, I want you guys to see that empathy and sympathy are two different things, right? Sympathy is that, like, I can mourn with you, but I don't know the experience you've walked through. But empathy is being able to say, I, I know what you're walking through, and I can understand this pain, and I can mourn with you on a deeper level. And that's what Advent is, is that God dwelt among us, and as an empathetic high priest, all that you're walking through Christ can say, I know. And so for us, as we, whatever we walk through, we can have this truth, we can have this hope that because Christ has walked through these things, walked through every temptation, and has defeated sin and death on our behalf, we can have this hope and this grounding when he says, I know. We have the creator God who tells us in our pain, in our suffering, in our joy, I know. And that brings us great comfort. And so anytime we walk into Advent uh, or we think about our lives in the rhythm of Advent, I, I hope that you guys look to that. Now, if you're not familiar with what Advent is, um, it is historically a time, as, as Jordan said, where the church does do two things. It celebrates and it waits. So if you ever think about Advent in two words, celebrating and waiting. We're celebrating that Christ has come and we're waiting for his second return. Now, oftentimes we look at Advent as um, some things that we can do, right? Sometimes we have calendars with Bible verses or chocolate or things like that that we can celebrate on this calendar. Um, or, and we've had this in the past and we just probably didn't think about it, um, there are uh, candles that we will light for the four weeks up into Christmas and just helping us prepare and remind us of Christ's coming. And what we do in Advent is we try to place ourselves in the story of Israel. Advent for them was waiting for Emmanuel to come, waiting for that promise of Christ to come and redeem them. And so we, we put ourselves in that story in Advent as we anxiously await here, waiting for Christ to return. But what we do in that Advent is we mourn over our sin 
and we mourn over the sin in the, in the world and the sin around us. That's why we brought that confession up, that we understand that sin is still here, and it affects us deep and wide. It affects us personally, and it affects those around us. And so as we anxiously await, we're longing for Christ to return to defeat, ultimately, sin and death for good. And so when we look at Advent, what we're trying to do is we're not just trying to see Christmas as the world has placed Christmas around us, consumeristic, individualistic. What we're trying to do is we are trying to prepare ourselves as Israel did for the coming Christ. So we're reconstructing and embracing the true story of the gospel, that Jesus has come. That's the, that's the Christian story, that Jesus has come, that God has revealed himself to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we recognize that as we're waiting, that there are still things that we are trying to put to death, that we want Christ to come so that he can once and for all put sorrow and sin and hurt to death. And we anxiously await with gratitude and praise. And I want to answer this question this morning of why Advent is important, right? Why, why do we spend so much time in celebrating what Advent is? It's because the light of life, as we'll read in John 1 this morning, has invaded the darkness and the promise is that it will not be defeated. So the light of life has invaded dark spaces and it will not be defeated. And that gives us hope. And that gives us joy, especially in the midst of a season where there is pressure to be perfect. There is pressure on us that we lay on ourselves, that we have to get these things right. And then if we don't, we're going to look a certain way in front of people. But Advent is celebrating that that light has come and it's invaded those dark spaces and it pushes out that need to, to be perfect because Christ has been perfect for us. Advent is meant to give us hope as we anxiously wait. And as I was thinking through last night this passage, I, I got a phone call from my friend um, and he I'm just going to give you a short story of his three, he's got three children. Two of them have had a disease called CDH, which is a disease, is a, a hernia in which the baby in the womb has their intestines still in the chest. So it doesn't allow for lungs to grow correctly. It doesn't allow for the heart to go correctly. Oftentimes, these kids don't even make it out of the womb. And if they do, they have a very small percentage of, of a chance to live. And He's now had two children walk through this. One is right now in the NICU. Um, she is getting better. But he texts me, and he's been in this NICU around these other families, and he told me that like, three of these children have died within the last two weeks. Not only that, he's got his own child who he's looking at praying would be healed. And he then continues to, to talk to me about his own life in that, and I, and I know all these things, but he, he's asking the question, like, why does this keep happening? When is this season going to end? And I can see him at the end of his rope that he, he just, he can't do it anymore. And as I sat there and, and listened to him, I kept thinking, like, I wish I had the words to tell him 
it is, God is still in control. And then I remembered, I, I do. We do as believers. He, he thankfully is a believer, so I can point him to the light of Christ, but I pointed him to this advent that God has dwelt among us. That, that I can give him this hope to point to him that God knows and he can empathize and he understands because he has dwelt among us. That God has been here and he's walked the path and he's seen the effects of sin. Because that's, that's what this disease is, it's an effect of sin. And so as we walk through John 1 this morning, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. We're going to be looking at John 1, 1 through 5. I hope that you can see that as we walk through this story, that this is the hope and the promise that we have of Advent, that God has revealed himself through the person and work of Jesus Christ, and that we have a promise that in Christ, the light of life will never be defeated even when we are at the end of our rope, when we just feel like we can't go anymore, we can have this hope that God has walked in our place and he is with us now. So John 1, 1 through 5 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to him and ask him to reveal more of himself in this time. Lord, thank you for your great grace and your mercy and the promise that the darkness of sin and the effects of it will be defeated, that the light of life will not be overcome, that in Jesus we can have hope, not just in this Advent as we look towards Christmas, but in our life here we can have hope knowing that one day all of this will be defeated. There will be no more pain, there will be no more sickness, there will be no more sorrow and shame because you will return and call your people into a glorious feast and a time of celebration. And Lord, we long for that time. And so as we read your word today, help, it, help, your, help us to understand your word in order to wait patiently, knowing the truth when you come, all these things will be given to us. Lord, in this time as your messenger, and I proclaim your word, Lord, may you work through me. May my words bring you glory and grow us in the likeness of Christ for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning as we look at John 1, I want you to notice that it's not a typical Christmas story. And what I mean by that is that we, we aren't starting off with an angel coming to Mary. We aren't starting off with any wise men coming to uh, Jesus in a manger. What we're doing right off the bat is we are, we are showing from before time. 
that the light has always been shining and this plan of redemption has always been there. So this Christmas idea is what we're going to take a look at, that Jesus coming to earth. And John wants to show us a couple of things from this passage. I think these are beautiful truths as we walk through this Christmas season, as we look towards Christmas and what it means for us. And so if you are type A, if you take notes, these are the three things that John shows us this morning. That the light has always been shining. The light brings life and life abundantly. And the light will not be put out. Therefore, we can have confidence. So the light has always been shining. The light brings life and life abundantly and the light will not be put out. John is focusing on something here in this light of the world speech that he gives. From John's depiction, we can see the beautiful truths of what this light brings to us. So right off the bat, what we see is that the light has always been shining. And John shows us this in these five verses through three different ways. He shows us that the light has been shining before creation, the light has shined and is shining in creation, and even in the, New, even in the Old Testament, the light was shining. So this idea of the light coming into this world is not a New Testament thing. It's not a theme in which it was just created in Matthew and kind of flowed through the New Testament. This has always been and always will be, and John is showing us that by highlighting that it, it was even mentioned in the Old Testament. So we see in the, in the first couple of verses, when we talk about the light shining before creation, we see that John says in the beginning. It's a, it's a remembrance, or he's pointing back to Genesis 1.1, where Moses writes, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And so he's saying that in the beginning this light was there. He's also showing that in the beginning this light was God, and is God, and was with God. And so this true light, what John is saying, has always been there. It's eternal. And then he shows us that this light was a part of creation, that all things were created through this light, and nothing that was made was not made through it. And in this light, we find life. So what John is showing is that this light is the active agent in creation. Not only was he there in the beginning, but he was a part of God's plan to create all things and to sustain all things. He shows us that in this light we find life. And yes, there's a physical aspect of life being created through this light, but there's also a spiritual aspect of life that comes through this light. And then John shows us that this light has been shining throughout the Old Testament. He points back to Isaiah 9-2 that says, The people who walked in a great darkness have seen a great light. That's what he's referencing in verses 4 and 5. So what John is trying to show us is this light has always been shining. This light has been here before time and is sustaining all of creation and is not some new concept in the New Testament that just has come about. It's not a theory but it is eternal. Now, this should be an easy question for you guys, but do you know who he's referencing when he talks about the light? Thank you, okay. 
99% of the time you can say that, and you're probably right. But Jesus is who John is talking about. John is trying to tell us something about Jesus through this depiction of the light of the world, that Jesus is eternal, that Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things, that Jesus brings life and life abundantly, that Jesus is not just some New Testament concept, but has been, been, has been around since before time, and that Jesus is God, and that Jesus was with God. And I want to say that because it's important for us to recognize that there are some religions who don't believe that Jesus was God. They believe Jesus was a God, or they believe Jesus was created and then lived a perfect life and then somehow got his own planet and now is a part of God's eternal reality. That's not true at all. John is showing us that Jesus has been around since before the foundation of time. He was there in the beginning, and he will be there in the end, and yet he is the one who has come to earth to dwell with us. John's point here in showing us that Jesus is God is as we walk through Advent, we can have hope that he, Jesus, this light of life, has come. He's a God who we worship. And in the Christmas scene, we see him as a baby, but he's not just a baby swaddled in clothes. And I understand that babies are cute. Not all of them, but some of them are cute. But John is pointing us to the fact that even in this baby, we have the sustainer of the universe dwelling among us. John tells us this to show that the light has always been shining. And for us to know who Christ is. Because as we see and know who Christ is, we then get a reflection and an image of God the Father. We see the love of the Father. The Christian story that God has revealed to us his nature and his character through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the Christmas story. The Christ, the exact imprint and radiance of God the Father has come and dwelt among us. And this is what John is showing us He's showing us this because oftentimes in our own life, in our own human experience, we're asking the question, who, who is God and what does he want from me? We long to know who God is like. Frederick Bruner, a commentator on this passage, says that we long to know him, what he thinks and what he does. And in Jesus, his most 
personable word is given. God has spoken to us in the most human way possible, giving us his innermost thoughts, giving us his heart and his deeds that are as as profound as his words. And the believing human race has experienced deep help ever since he's done this. See, Advent is important, understanding that the light has always been shining and that God has sent Jesus to reveal more of himself is important because it's easy to believe the lie that God is disappointed in us and that he regrets saving us. How often do we find ourselves in this lie that, man, I just don't measure up. If, if these people knew the real me, they'd ask the question, why would God save me? Or we even ask the question, God, why why have you saved me? We believe the lie that he's disappointed in us. But the truth of Advent, the truth of Jesus coming and revealing himself gives us hope because we then can see the love of the Father through the Son. That we can see and believe what God says about us based on Christ's merit. When Christ's righteousness, when Christ's work gets imputed to us, then we receive that blessing of who God calls us as sons and daughters. That we are seen as righteous. That God sees Jesus, or God sees us as he sees Jesus. And he sings over us, and he delights in us. He gives us Jesus so that we can see and believe the truth of who God sees us as. But he also gives us Jesus so that we can be in him and being in him, we are protected and we have all the promises that are found in Christ because they're now given to us, as Ephesians says. And this idea is what we call union with Christ. And and I could probably go a whole different sermon on that, but I'm not going to. But I want to give you an example of what union with Christ looks like. And I want to give it to you by the example of Ezra. And I promise, Dwayne, this will be a good one. Um, So this week I got to experience uh, the Wagner family reunion with uh, Kelsey's family. Um, which was great because, like, I'm from a big family, and so walking into, like, 65 people all hanging out and playing games and just being loud is like, okay, cool, this is normally like my house. Like, um, I've got five siblings, five nieces and nephews, so walking into that is always loud. Um, and so you get to watch these kids interact, you get to watch these kids play around, and so Ezra's running around playing, and um, you, you can see at one point, like, kids are throwing things and, you know, people are getting nailed with stuff. Um, and in order, if Ezra wants to stop that or if he wants to be protected, all he's got to do is run behind Dwayne. And what that signifies is that, like, Dwayne will take the brunt of all the balls being thrown at Ezra. Dwayne will take on everything that could harm Ezra as they're playing and it's the same image that we have in Christ, 
that when we're in him, all the accusations, all the lies, all the things that Satan can throw at us and try to deceive us are now thrown onto Christ. And in turn, being in him, we receive the blessing and the promises that we are sons and daughters of God. We are protected. We are delighted in. We receive these blessings by being in him. And so this is the first thing that John is showing us and the importance of the light always being there and the light being God and creating and sustaining all things and that being in him brings us hope and brings us joy. So John continues, if we look at verses three and four, to say that the light of eternity is the creator and sustainer of life. We see in verses three and four that life comes through him. We also see in verses two, three, and four that as we talked about creation, this life, this light has created life. And he is intimately a part of that creation of life. As we walked through Psalm 139 last week, we got to see how intimate God was in creating humanity as well as even individually through his creation and his love for us. And this light brings life not only physically, as we'll go through, but also spiritually. I want to show you how this life brings life physically here. We see this creative act of God where if you can picture Genesis 1-1, God, through the work of Jesus, sings out creation. And I love this picture because Genesis is a poetic writing, specifically Genesis 1 and 2. And what that shows us is that God is intimately singing these things into being, into creation. I'm reminded of a story in the Chronicles of Narnia, um, in The Magician's Nephew, and I believe the original book, it's on page 115 or 116, where C.S. Lewis describes Aslan, the lion, singing Narnia into life and intimately singing this creation. And that's the picture that C.S. Lewis gives us, that God is intimately singing and creating life. But if you can think about this creative act, you can also see that this life was created not only by God through Christ, but as Colossians 1.16 shows us, this creation was created for Christ. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created, listen, through him and for him. So I was reading a commentary this week, and he described it like this. If we can take some divine imagination to think about who we are and how we're created and we get down to the smallest, smallest molecules, atoms, if we were to push those atoms aside, if we were to take a microscope and try to get deep down into our creative being, we might see this inscription, made by JC. Made by JC, made by Jesus Christ. And under that inscription, it would say, made for JC. Made for Jesus Christ. And the reason that I bring that up here 
in the creation of life is because this gives us a different understanding of our purpose. And if we walk through life with angst and anxiety and placing things on the mantle of who we worship, it is going to be destroyed because we're not made for things here on earth. We are made for Christ. We are made by him. So our jobs are never going to satisfy us. Our marriages are never going to satisfy us. Our relationships with our friends are never going to satisfy us. Our kids are never going to satisfy us because we're not made for them. You can take that statement and fill in the blank. Our, whatever you place as your ultimate, is never going to satisfy you. And I've seen this play out in my own life. I'll just be real intimate with you guys. I had a very hard conversation with my father two weeks ago. Because my father's the type that likes to control things because he thinks that if he can control it, it will turn out good. And so for the longest time, my dad has tried to control our family. And that has led to some serious and dark things. And I finally had this conversation with him because of the relationship I had and said, Dad, it seems like you're trying to do all these things in order to control our family, to, to keep it together. And you are getting burned because your family is never meant to be placed as your hope. Thankfully, by the grace of God, he called me back 30 minutes later and said, you are right. And I repent. I have been trying to hold on and place my hope in keeping this family in control. But it has broken me. And this is what happens when we try to place non-eternal things in the place of God. Because we're not made for it. We're not made to have these burdens placed on our shoulders. We're not made to place the burdens of our life on our spouse's shoulder, on our kid's shoulder, on our job's shoulder, because it will eventually fail us. We are made for Christ, and that's where we find our rest. Augustine says it like this, you move us to delight in praising you, for you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You are made for Jesus Christ, and you are made by him. And if that is true, which we believe is true in our Christian faith, then what comes from that is that there is a way in which creation, us, are designed to live, to bring glory to God and to receive ultimate joy. You see, that, that's, that should be the way in which we think about things, right? Because if God has created us intimately and he is sustaining us, then there is a way in which he calls us to live that will bring about the most joy for us. The Westminster Confession asks this question, what is the chief end of man? It is to enjoy God and glorify him forever. So our life being made for Christ and by him is supposed to live in such a way that brings him glory 
and we get to enjoy him. And that doesn't come from placing these non-eternal realities in the place of where God is supposed to be. It leaves us restless. C.S. Lewis would go on to say, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. We are made for another world. We are made for eternity. Because we are made by Christ and for him. And it is only by pursuing and being obedient to his call will we find rest. And if we get this, if we get this, then the angst, the anxiety, the, the illusion of control will be released. And it will subside. And we can push all of our cares, all of our burdens on the Lord. That's what he tells us to do because he cares for us. So this light brings life and it brings us purpose and it calls us to live for Christ because we have made, been made by him and we are made for him. But this, life, this light also brings life in the spiritual sense. If you'll go with me to John chapter 20, you'll see why John writes this book. And it's important for us to see this in the context of him telling us about this light of life coming to this darkness. John 20, starting in verse 30 to 31, says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is writing to you early on in, in the first chapter so that you would believe in Christ, you would believe in this light, and that you would have life in his name. This is the invitation that John gives to each and every one of us to come and have life, and life abundantly in Christ. This is the foundation of our Christian hope J.C. Ryle puts it like this, we are called to trust in nothing less than the eternal God, the one who is able to save to the uttermost all that come to the Father through him. He was with God and was God and is also God with us, Emmanuel. Let us thank him that our help is laid on the one who is mighty to save. The spiritual life that we can have in Christ comes when we lay down our pride, when we lay down and repent of our sin and trust in him and his work that he has done on the cross. Because in ourselves we are great sinners, but in Jesus Christ we have a great Savior. This is our hope this is what brings the spiritual life, the abundant life that Jesus says that we can have is when we trust in the light of life and in him all who call on him will find hope, will find this light. And so if you're in here this morning and you have not done so, I plead with you, 
Don't leave here today without placing your trust in the light of life, the light of man who gives abundantly and can save to the uttermost. As believers, and really everything I just said, I can have confidence and hope in all that I believe and all that you believe in Christ. And it's because of verse 5. Verse 5 says this, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness will never overcome it. The light will not be put out. Let's remember this as we walk through Advent, as we gather and worship And not just even in our Advent time, let us remember as we walk through our daily lives that the light will not be put out, that the darkness will never overcome the light of life. J.C. Ryle again says this, in order for sinners like you and I to be redeemed, we needed an eternal God, the creator and sustainer of all things, to come and die and take away the sins of those who would believe. So I want to point out to you that darkness is serious. As Julia said this morning, sin affects everything. It is a part of every fabric of our lives. Not just humanity, but also creation. And we see this, right? Day in and day out. We can see sin and the destruction of it in humanity when we see abuse when we see deception, when we see betrayal, when we see the illusion of control, but we also see it in creation, when we see it in miscarriages, in cancer, in earthly destruction, hurricanes, tornadoes, these things that we can't control. This is the fractured reality that we live in because of sin. And it took a great Savior to come and destroy that. And it'll take a great Savior to come and put all of those things to death once and for all when Christ returns. I want to show you that in this verse, when it says the light shines in the darkness, this is in the Greek what we call a present continuing action. So if you are able to write in your Bible, and yes, it's okay to do that, you can write out the verse like this, the light shines on still even now in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You hear that present continue? The light shines on still even now in the darkness. What does this mean for us? What does this mean for you and I that the light of the world who would put on flesh, who was with God at creation and is sustaining all things, What does this mean that the light shines on? It means that his victory on the cross and in the resurrection is still shining. And it will not be overcome. There is no darkness in this world that the light cannot overcome because it's still shining on. There's no situation in which the gospel light can't be shed There's no sickness that the gospel light cannot heal. There is no person who God can't redeem. 
And there's no baby that he can't control and bring to life. There is no person who can't be saved. There is no person who is outside of God's redeeming qualities that he can't call home. There is no darkness that the light cannot shine into and not overcome. And this is the hope that we have in Advent that the light of life is still shining and he will continue to shine until he returns. And this is the hope that we have when we pray for extraordinary things. Because we can have hope that God can and he will do what he has promised. And we can have confidence in this light because it will not be overcome. We can have confidence when we walk in this light because it won't be overcome. And what I mean by having confidence when we walk in this light is that we can have confidence when we call out the darkness, whether it be in community or whether we call out the darkness in the world. We can do this because we know that this darkness will not win. When we believe and live trusting the light can overcome the darkness. There is freedom in our lives that we may not have taken hold of before. And what I mean by this, I want to show this through Ephesians 5. So if you have your Bible still open, jump over to Ephesians 5, starting in verse 11. This is how we can practically live out this light of life. I actually believe we already read this. Okay. (laughs) Verse 11 says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. So when I say that when we confidently walk and live in the light, we can live this passage out. We can have confidence that in our community, as we live amongst each other and we talk about sin and we talk about where people are not keeping their eyes fixed on Christ, we can shine the light on that darkness. We can go, brother, sister, this is not how we're called to live. You're you're living in the darkness which you have been taken out of. Come back into the light. I need to expose this darkness in your life in order to help you walk in this light. As Proverbs would tell us, faithful is the wound of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. We can bring lies and deceit even in our own lives to the light. That darkness within us when the devil tries to deceive us that we are not children of God, that we are not worthy of him, we can bring that into the light, shine the light of the gospel on that darkness and defeat it. We can shine the light of the darkness even in our world as we reveal dark things like abortion or we reveal racial tensions, these are dark things still in our world that the gospel light needs to shine on and inform us in how we live. And we can have confidence. And we can share the light of life 
in a dark and dying world, calling people to repentance, calling people to trust in this light so that they can come out of the darkness just as we were once called out of the darkness into the marvelous light. And we can have confidence as we go back into this darkness with this marvelous light that it will not be put out and that God will do what he has promised to do to save those around us. There is no darkness that this light can't overcome. There is no darkness that this light can't be shined on. And we can have confidence in this light because it will not be put out. And this is what John is telling us in this Advent. As Christ has come, this is the hope that we have. This is the hope we have for the world because it's the hope that's been given to us in Christ. So as I close this morning, I want to celebrate Advent the same way that we celebrate Advent every single week through the act of communion where we receive the grace of God through the bread and the juice as a reminder that Christ has come. And on the cross, he has defeated sin. And in the resurrection, he has put death to shame. But even as we take communion, it is an advent in itself. Because one day, we will be feasting at the table of the Lamb. And so as we take communion each week, it should be a reminder to look forward to what will be in eternity. That this Advent, as we anxiously await by taking the bread and the juice, is helping us to look forward. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give some time, because what we normally do in communion is we want you guys to look back. Look back at what Christ has done for you whether it be sin, whether there is relationships that need to be healed, you can sin in remembrance of what Christ has done. Take a moment to look back. And then we're going to get up, we're going to take the elements, and then we are going to look around. You can physically look around, but what I mean by looking around is looking at all who are in the family of God and recognizing that these, these are people that I have covenanted to. And then we'll look forward. As we take the bread and we take the juice, we look forward to that wedding feast of the Lamb that will come. And as we sing and we close out and as we praise God, we are also looking forward to singing eternally to the one who has done all that we need, the God who dwelt among us and has given us hope and has shined the light of life in the darkest of places. So let's take a moment before we get up and take the bread. Um, I'll close in prayer and you guys can look back and then you guys can get up and, and take the bread and juice as you feel. Lord, thank you for this light of life. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at